Hi, welcome back to Mental Health Bar. With us today, uh, we have Vicky Paul, ancestral healer and coach. Thank you for joining us, Vicky. I really appreciate you joining us on the show. Um, what is an ancestral healer and coach? Well, uh, thanks, Chris, for having us on. It's very excited to be here. Uh, an ancestral healer is someone who looks back at your past and helps to unpick some of those core values that you have today. Um, nine times out of ten, something that's holding you back in your life today can be related to something that your parents have instilled in you, and that's yep. the value that yep. their parents give to them. So you could be acting on values today in 2021 on a core value that came into being in the 1800s or maybe even older. Maybe even older. So uh, for me, I, like I, I, an example of that for me in society is BMI. So BMI was invented in the 1700s, wasn't it? When they were still using leeches to drain the bad blood and they were still drilling holes in our heads to release the demons. So, and they still use BMI. So that's the kind of thing you're talking about, but from a more personal perspective. So what kind of core values are we talking about here? Oh, oh, those core values could be anything along the lines of um, women are not equals in society. Um, if you're a man, you must be attracted to a woman. And if you're anything else, then you're Satan. Um, it could be your, your thoughts and opinions on money, um, what you're able to achieve in life, you know, what, right. your, what your roles and opinions are on family time and what your role in that family is. So if you're, the, if you're a woman and you have children, then you need to give up your job and dedicate your whole life to your children and your husband, as an example. Well, that's a, I mean, that's a great example because that core value is obviously very recent. That's, I mean, my mum thought that. That was like what she, I'm 38 years old and, and my mum instilled in me that woman stays at home at work, dad, dad, uh, woman stays at home, looks after the kids, dad goes off to work, which was ironic because my mum was a single parent who, went off to work and we were looked after by childminders and things. So it, 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 it that's a bit of um, like a, a cognitive dissonance, isn't it there? So- Oh, it totally is. Is that yeah. something, so uh, with things like that, we're talking about values that they live or values that they're just instilling in us? Or what, what do you think about that? Well, if you take that example, you know, I mean, your mum would go out to work to, to look yes. after you. And yet she told you that, you know, it would be the mother's duty to stay at home and raise their children. Yes. So she's, she's advising you to do something that she's not doing herself. So then do you follow your mother's footsteps or do you follow what she's told you to do? And that sort of, <clears throat> that causes friction on the inside of a person. Yeah. And as you're, yeah. as you're growing up, you you flourish into the person into the adult that you that you then become and you still have that inner turmoil oh yeah and that and that'll show up in in the way that you work it'll show up you know when you're around with your friends it could even show up with you your kids and your family situation at home yeah so i i i don't i don't actually have I, like i can't say to you this is how that's made me feel but 
what would be an example? How, how, have you seen anything like that before where you work with people, obviously, you're an ancestral healer. What would you say? And you don't have to give names. I'm not asking you to break client privilege, you know, like um, your, your patient privilege, or, or I don't know what term you use. What, what term do you use for people that you treat? Clients. Clients, yeah. I, I'm never sure because people sometimes they're like, they're not clients, they're patients. They're not clients, they're mentorships or what you know. Um, so clients, what would be an example of something that you've had to deal with more recently for things like that? Oh, wow. There was, there was this one lady who really, really resonated um, with the experience that I had. And it was so strange because this lady... Um, came to me about this particular issue and then the three ladies after that also had the same issue which I thought was amazing because I hadn't worked on this issue in quite some time. The, it was a mummy issue and their, their general experience was, was that their mum was setting a high bar for them. So they had to, um, they were the eldest in the family they had to pick the, their brothers and sisters up from school. They had to come home. They had to get the dinner sorted. They had to get the, the table ready. They had to get the kids, um, you know, like washed and like ready and presented for dinner. And yeah. they kind of grew up with the, if I do all this, then eventually my mum will give me some praise in return. Right. Jesus. And what? Yeah, and what actually happened is that they grew up with these incredibly high standards on the yeah. basis that no one would ever give them any praise. And that chipped away at the, at the um, what's the word, at their confidence, at their self-esteem. And they, they got married, they've had children, mm. and now their children are seeing them with the immaculate house all the time and the setting tables and the using good china. And it's the, my kids now think that this is normal. Because now I'm asking my kids to pick up their brothers and sisters from school and to come home and to help me with the dinner because now I am my mom and they're turning into their mom. Now the crazy thing here is that these ladies have lived that life. Mm. They, they know what it's like to be the oldest child in that scenario where, you know, they're getting belittled they're going to grow up with low confidence and low self-esteem and yet they're doing it now with their own children yeah so they know that the action that they're taking is going to lead their children to exactly the same place where they are right now and yeah. they're making a change that's what they want to break and that's powerful that is powerful especially when and you're helping to do it that's your and so i'd say you're a catalyst or enabling it what would you say you were doing there um what i do is i reframe things okay so what happened in the past happened in the past yes. and it was perfectly acceptable at that time Yes. So back in the 40s, 50s and 60s, whenever these ladies were born, because I never ask people their age, I think that's rude. And um, <laughs> it was perfectly normal for that sort of treatment and, and that expectation to be set. Because that was before Queen, it was before the Beatles. It was, you know, during the time where women didn't have the same privileges as what we do today. Yes. So there was that expectation. 
And by reframing the situation and viewing it from a different perspective, it unlocks hidden treasures that you didn't see about the situation. Oh, like what? And every, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, every cause, every action has an effect. Yeah. And if you know what effect the action has, you can then choose whether or not to take it. Yes. And, yes. And it's just bringing it through from a, I, I help to facilitate thought processes so that people understand what the action is to get, to get a given result. So then it gives right. them the option, you know, do they actually want to do that action? Because if they do the action, they're going to get that result. If it's not the result they want, they don't need to do that action. So, yeah, I'm a reframer, I would probably say. I like that reframer. No one's ever called themselves a re I've never had a reframer before. I like I like that. It's a, it's a, to me, you see, this is a, I, I've got a, I've got a big example of this from my own childhood. My mum uh, determined to make us the best we could be. She wanted us to be great. Um, she So she'd give me IQ tests every day and Mensa tests every day. And you can imagine what that did. You can imagine what that did to 11 to 15, 16 year old Chris. And we'd go to the dietitian, and she'd tell me, she'd get me to, cause I was overweight and things like that. So you can imagine what those things did. I had very low self-esteem growing up. So this kind of thing is absolutely the kind of thing I'm interested in. In What would the process be? So you're saying reframing. I don't want, obviously I don't want you to give away secrets, but, if you could tell us, like, what would the, what, how would you get someone to see something like uh, that as a core belief that they've grown up with, and as obviously, I think of it like a seed that turns into a tree inside you, where that thing is planted and pushed in and pushed in and pushed in, and then when you're older, it becomes like a big tree that bursts out of your head and causes all sorts of problems. That is a an analogy that didn't need to happen, um, <laughs> but uh, where do you even start with that? when it's such an important part because it has grown through all of you it's become part of your matrix it's it, how, where do you even start reframing that so it starts by understanding the repetition of stories so what happens is is you will see a reoccurrence of a story yeah so if we go back to these ladies you know um there was an undercurrent in in their life of not being worthy of being undervalued you know, of always being subservient and needing to, to serve others before themselves. Yeah. And what is, is a question tree. So it's a, you're experiencing this, when did this mm. happen before? And then you talk around that scenario and then you just keep taking it back. Yes. And what happens is that when you, when you go back to the, the point at which the, the, the core value was identified, the core value is split into two things. It's split into an experience, which is what happened. It's the facts of what happened. And then it's a meaning. It's something that you made that experience mean. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. Mum would leave a, uh, this is taken from one of the ladies that I'm working with. Mum um, would leave a to-do list of things um, that seemed to be never ending. She had two hours and there was like 15 things on there. She was never going to complete the list. And everything on that list that she did, so of the 15 things, if she did 10, the focus of her mom would be on the five things that she missed and she would be belittled, downtrodden, and she would be viewed as unworthy. Yep. 
So she she took the meaning from that as I'll never be good enough. Yeah. And that came into life, which is the I'll never be good enough to ride a horse. I'll never be good enough to get the promotion at work. I'll only ever be a secretary. I'll never be good enough to run my own business. And that showed up and it's a story that kept repeating itself because she attached a meaning to an event. Right. So we, we take everything back, we go every we go all the way back to that event in their life and we just pick away at it. We we find a thread and we just pick it and we show that, that situation for what it really was. Okay. And then when you see the situation for what it really was, it's a is that meaning right? Is that meaning that you took from that situation right? You go, no, that's not right. Cool. So what meaning, now that that meaning's been broken, what would happen in, and then you take it, you take it back up to present day mm. to the point where they get to today and they go, well, I can go for that job because I am worthy. I do have the skills and expertise. And that's when you start with positive reinforcement. I like this a lot because in the example that you give, what would be, so you're unpicking the thread. What thread are you unpicking in the example that you gave, Vicky? So in that particular example, um, we unpick the values of um, self-worth. Self -worth. Mm. And we looked at, um, at this lady's mom and, and uncovered there that she herself was the oldest child and she was belittled by her parents. And it's just a cycle repeating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were talking about this before we came on, that these things are hundreds of years old, and so, and, and it, you can, and, but you can go so far back that it doesn't even make sense anymore. That That's what we were talking about just before we came on, that yeah. these values are only yeah. certain, they've got a shelf life. Exactly right. And one of the things that I, I found amazing and I, I uncovered this before I even came into coaching uh, and, and found my path as, as a healer. My, um, my grandmother, my dad's mom, lived on a farm and she was a farmer's wife and she would always cook, you know, massive amounts of food. And, you know, I went to my Aunt Wendy's, which is my dad's younger sister, and she would always cook massive amounts of food. And they always used to cook in the same way. Mm. So they'd always get a big joint of meat right. and then cut it in half. And then instead of cooking it as one joint of meat, they'd cook it in parallel. Okay. And I was like, oh, okay, is that, is that to reduce the cooking time? I don't know. And Wendy said, it's what my mum always used to do. I said, oh, okay. So when I went over to visit grandma, because it was a bit of a track away, she said, because uh, I asked her the same question, and she said, oh, no, I didn't have a long enough baking tree because the oven wasn't long enough. <laughs> yeah. And she learned to cook. Um, uh, she learned to cook in, oh God, she was born in 1916. So she learned to cook in the 20s on a farm. You know, yeah. she didn't really have that much of an oven. And it wasn't very long. It was, it was more square. So she always used to cook the joints of meat in a way that it would allow to be in the oven in a square format. And it was the, no, I just, we, we need to cook for so many people. That's a joint to so many people, but it doesn't fit in the oven, so I cut it in half and rotate the meat round. And Aunt Wendy had never thought about asking Gran about why she cooked that way. It was just 
second nature. So and it weird. was the it was the curio about that. And after I had that realization, yeah. had that conversation with my aunt and my gran, I then kind of voiced that at school and with my parents. And it's say, oh yeah, if there's a saying about that. And it just kind of dawned on me that if there's these sayings, I can't remember the saying, but it's a very similar story about someone else cooking. And they go back through the generations and ask, mm. you know, why they cook that way. So well, how many other things do we do based off of what our grandparents did and their parents did and their parents did? How many of those things do we do today that are hundreds, if not thousands of years old that we do because we've always done them? Yeah. So weird. So as it not though, not what happened, but that we still do them, that that action is completely irrelevant to the situation, unnecessary to the situation, and yet still being enacted as if it was mandatory. It's such a weird, mm. when you think about it like that, and, and I guess that's what you're doing is you're, you, you take that joint of beef and you say, well, your oven is big enough. You've... Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. The the values that we've got so to use the I can't keep using the oven analogy because I'm conscious that we might lose people. <laughs> the values that we have today were perfectly acceptable when we got given them. Yeah, it's whether or not they're going to serve us today. So I'm 21, if you can believe it. I don't. Um, I'm quite safely in my mid 30s. I'm 37 this year, and you know my <laughs> oh, oh yeah we'll be the cool kids together yeah and you know, i've got a two-year-old now and you know when he's my age the world will be in a vastly different place and yes. as a parent i feel um i feel as though i need to be able to give him the best start in life and giving him my values that i got given as a child will not serve him and it's a, you know, acting in a, and we talked about this before we came on as well, acting mm. with awareness and consciousness yeah. about what, we, what we're going to pass on to the next generation is what's going to push humanity forward. There'll be more inclusion and awareness and less judgment in the world, which is exactly what we all need because it's that shame that comes with accepting a judgment or get given a judgment that causes people to look inward and you know it knocks confidence it knocks self-esteem and it's just the start of a downward spiral yeah yeah we've talked about this on this show a lot and society tries to make you have a personality and tries to make you fit into a certain box that actually very few people fit into and we can see a trend we were, again as you said we were talking about this before we can see a trend where people are being allowed to be themselves and be comfortable in their own bodies rather than trying to fit into someone else's you know trying to fit into that shape that they've said this is a man this is a woman that's it and like we again we, i'm combining a couple of different things we were talking about things before we were talking about gender roles throughout history and we were also talking about uh how i, I was saying about how um that i don't need to say that actually people don't know that that's what we were talking about before but i could have just smoothly done that but that's not this kind of show vicky um this is that my children at school now so you've got you've got a young child mine are obviously teenagers and my children at school they're 
understanding of gender and sexuality is very vastly different to what ours was at school when we were at school people would shout gay at you across the uh, playground and it was it wasn't even seen as like an insult it was just a throwaway oh that's gay and something like that and it it was and people and it was you were either straight or you weren't that was it there was like people didn't accept that you were gay they didn't accept that you were bi they in fact i can remember bisexual not being a thing when i was at school whereas I, I know it was a thing. I'm just saying that you didn't. I wasn't 14, and people were like, "You like both." They were. They were like, "You like one or the other." Otherwise, get out. Whereas at now in my kids' school, they're like, what, "Love who you're gonna love." There's, it's very rare to see that, and that's what you're talking yeah. about. <clears throat> yeah. So there's two things there. So when we were at school <clears throat> in the 90s, there was something called Article 25, which Thatcher brought in which pretty much said that if you weren't if you didn't conform to the binary box then you know you weren't going to be talked about because we weren't going to promote it and what that actually did is breed shame so if anyone who was you know not binary um they just didn't have anywhere to go the teachers weren't allowed to talk about it and it literally made it a huge taboo topic yeah that's the thing and we are now breaking those taboos um, I would like to just go back a little way. Uh, I'm going to go back around two and a half thousand years. Um, and you know what? If we're going to do, if we're going to time travel, let's stay in the UK. You know, because this is pre-Roman times now. Um, mm. And back in pre-Roman times, when you had the Celtic clans and the tribes, it didn't matter if you were a man or a woman. You were in that clan. You were in that tribe, and you used your skill. So yeah. if you were a blacksmith. You could be a blacksmith as a man or a woman. If you were a hunter, you could be a hunter if you were a man or a woman. And the same went for everything. Child caring, um, farming, um, fishing. Mm. It didn't matter. Fighting was a brilliant one. Um, the Celtic clans used to fight with every man, woman, and literally child. Anyone who could swing a sword would end up fighting because it was fighting for that clan, for your right to survive. Yeah. And you know, when uh, I'm going to get a bit political now. So okay. when the Romans came over, um, <laughs> she went head to head with the Romans because when her husband died, um, the Romans didn't recognize her as the queen. Oh. And because and because their territory was then left uh, leaderless because Bordesia and her husband, whose name I've just completely forgotten, they had three daughters. So the Romans did what they did when there wasn't a ruler in place and that they raped every woman um, and, you know, had a good poke at all the guys. Mm. And of course, Bordesia, like any mother would do, and when she finds out that her, her children have been abused, is she went off the chising and went head to head with the Romans. And she, she united the clans. Yeah. Well, at this point, you know, that was the that was the point in history, in British history, where women lost their power. And I think it was I think it was was it six hundred AD? I can't remember. I'm terrible with dates. Don't ask me dates. I forget my own birthday half the time. And you know, that's when women lost our power. That's when we lost our right to equality with men. And we have been subjugated to, you know, Roman rule since then. So when women got the right to vote back in the 20th century, it wasn't the right to vote, it was the right, it's the right to vote back. 
Yeah. We have been fighting for this change for nearly 2,000 years. And we're still fighting. So today, when you're talking around your kids having, you know, equality in, what did he say? Labels off the clothes. They're not for, they're not for oh, gender. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was my eldest, where yeah. she said to her, her nan, yeah, that labels are for clothes. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. I'm going to nick that. You know, we we as a race in Britain are still fighting to be back in the same place that we were before Romans. Yeah. Don't forget about this, BC, it's BR, before Romans. Before Romans. See, we were talking about this before. Every, most societies had uh, a bit more equality towards women than we do now. Like we were saying about uh, Egypt, they had ancient Egypt was they recognised women as equal. They were they could hold lands, they could hold titles. It was uh, they had specific roles, but at the same like mothers and, and and healers and stuff. But they in much the same way that Cleopatra at the time was well not at the time she was quite a later one, but she was allowed to be allowed. She was able to be leader because they recognised female rule, and the same went for ancient Arabia, where they had. We were saying about how. Well, I was. I was saying to you. I didn't know if you knew that. Actually, I. I. I, I didn't know if you'd known that fact. I just like telling people things. Um, that if you dressed as one gender, that's what you were treated like, and it was your choice whether you wanted to be. So if you were obviously women were treated differently to men, but if you were a woman and you wanted to be treated like a man, you dressed as a man, and that's then you were treated like a man. And these are rules that people are still fighting for now that they had back then and then disappeared because of this subjugation because was it all roman influence or is there a like a is this just a it just happened you know different societies just decided oh that that's a really great question so um my husband and i have this debate quite regularly um <laughs> and you know the romans had a lot of influence so very, very potted history. Um, so the the Romans and uh, the Egyptians, uh, you know, had a had a bit of a they were around at the same time, so to speak. Yeah. And the there's two things I'd like to say about the Romans. One of them is about Cleopatra. Yeah. Um, Cleopatra is it, it is known as the most beautiful woman in the world that has yeah. ever existed. And she comes from southern Egypt, which is what we now know is Sudan. Right. Well, if you've met any Sudanese person, you will know that they are extremely dark-skinned. They are yes. extremely black. And the fact that Cleopatra was black was something that was never recorded in the history books because racial colour was not an issue at all, categoric. Right. It was yeah. a person. It was a name from that country. End of story. And when she um, when she ran away with Marco, oh, terrible with names. I'll, I'll think of it in a second. Thank you. Um, it was just it was just a person. You know, there was no reference of skin color or race or language. Mm. It was just two people madly in love. Yeah. And you know, the the racial equality came in after that. So the racial equality came in after Romans when the Romans tried to subjugate most of, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, um, most of North Africa, and tried to broach down into Southern Africa, that's when um, racial equality really did come in. And keeping with the, with the racial equality and the gender equality, um, we're going on a very different tangent to this, but, you know, I like it. Uh, yeah. Bring me back on top. 
We'll come back later. <laughs> it's fine. Um, the Romans didn't like to have their slaves clothed. So right. you would have your genital area clothed, but then your, your bodice and your, your legs were left um, stark right. so that you, you had nothing to your name. And when yes. Islam came, came up um, uh, in, in into Europe, in Islam, you know, men and women were equal. Uh, women had the ability to, to cover their bodies, to protect their modesty, and women could have title rights. And the Romans didn't like that either. So they then reinforced all of the racial inequalities. And that's what I feel contributed to a lot of what we see today as, you know, um, the, the starters of racial inequality and part of that prejudice towards anyone without milky white skin. Bloody Romans. Bloody Romans. Exactly. Bloody so, Romans. That's the sort of BR stands for. It's bloody, bloody Roman. It's it's one of those. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those things. I just I, I but that's and, and the thing that's what I mean is we we look back. So you're an ancestral healer and coach and ancestral healing. You go that far back and we start seeing that actually this is a loop. We're now getting back to the start uh, getting back rights that were lost thousands of years ago so we're getting back to that and in that way that's what you do with people you reframe people you take the loop out you go back to where the sense started where the actual real thought process is and you rationale and reason it back out again so that's uh, we were coming back here you say it was a tangent but we, it was just a roundabout it's always just a roundabout <laughs> Yeah, love it. Nicely, smoothly done, Chris. <laughs> That's the whole job. Um, but yeah, you, you, so you're ancestral healer, but obviously you keep coach separate, ancestral healer and coach. So ancestral healer is this taking people's paths, unpicking the history of it, unpicking the reasoning behind it and finding out and applying it to today's values and then and, and, and making people work through it with, with more thought around that. And you're a, 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 a reframer. What does the coach bit do? So the coach piece is the the strategies that that you can deploy in order to help people with their their journey in discovering and unpicking that that experience that, yeah. that to be that needs to be reframed. So anybody can sit down and have a conversation with somebody. If you're really going to make an impact to their mind. You need to have the strategies there to be able to to unpick it, and okay. that's where the coaching comes in. So, certified coach, um, I did all my training through the Academy of Executive Coaching. I had every desire and wish to go into full corporate um, when I when I got my certification through, and when I when I got it through, I had this huge brainwave that it wasn't necessarily the corporate leaders that I wanted to be able to make more money it was the I want to be able to make a difference in the world and the difference doesn't start with chief execs it starts with you know you and me and yeah. every man woman, and child mm. and that's the bit that's going to have the biggest impact on society and that's the bit that's going to leave my legacy yeah so that's why I choose 
And so with the coaching, you say uh, the, the mechanisms and the strategies, what kind of strategies are we talking about? I mean, I, I, I don't know if that's part of, like, I don't want to, like, I don't want you to do anything that you obviously are uncomfortable telling us because it's part of your business. But what kind of strategies are we talking about there? Oh, so there's a couple of different things um, that I can that I can share without giving too much away. That's fine. So one of them is about um, so it, it plugs into neurolinguistic programming as well, and also nonviolent communication. So there's lots of different facets to this. There's looking at pictures and being able to unpick what pictures mean. So you have like a series of flashcards, or you run up on um, the, there are certain websites online that you can look at together. When you're doing it through zoom like what we are now and you look at cards and you stop at a card that that really resonates with you with how you're feeling right now and being able to unpick what that card is invoking in you and what feelings that card is invoking in you mm. that ability to do that and tether it back to a situation is very um, re um reminiscent of what a coaching practice is because it allows you to be able to transfer your feeling what you're experiencing on the inside into a picture that allows another person to be able to, to visually see how you're feeling yes. without necessarily yes. bringing that picture directly to yourself because yeah. sometimes it might be yeah. difficult for someone to be able to articulate exactly how they're feeling yeah so it's like a rorschach almost almost yeah i like that like an yeah. input test like where you they yeah. you bring up a thing and you're like what are you feeling how do you think about that does that help so that instead the ancestral healer side of you must help with that because that's the part that's the past bit you know what does this the feeling has to have come from somewhere like you said earlier where does that yeah. feeling come the, from the feeling comes from the meaning that you attach to something yeah yeah so and, the wind nope sorry we've got a delay so that's it's a little bit odd keep going <laughs> when you experience a situation and you know you feel that adrenaline hit you know that adrenaline is your body getting ready for that fight or flight response yeah so it's getting you ready to be able to you know to go 10 rounds or it's getting you ready to be able to run until your legs don't work yes and that that feeling you know if you're not used to it it can induce a sense of panic yeah and some people thrive off that, that adrenaline rush and who always are putting themselves in danger. Um, look at skydivers and people who do bungee jumps and crazy, crazy things that I would never do. I'm a bit of a wuss like that. It's because they like the adrenaline hit. Yeah. And it's the, where does that feeling come from? What did you do when you first got that feeling? How did you enjoy it? If you don't like the adrenaline running through your body, then you're going to naturally move away from anything that's unsafe or that's going to trigger that adrenaline rush which means that you never put yourself in in situations where you could be wrong where you could be at risk so mm. you might and an example of that is you don't like the adrenaline rush so you don't drive a fast car yes because you don't like yes. going too quickly it could also show up as you don't want to put your head above the parapet and you're quite happily being part of the crowd, which is a herd mentality. So you might end up being stuck in a low level or menial role, whereas you know that you're fully capable of doing something so much greater, but you don't want to put your head above the parapet because you don't want to be singled out. Yeah, or a bad relationship. Or a bad relationship, yeah. 
where you're terrified where you've got the fear of being alone and that's you know it's much the same as those fear of getting a promotion so you you're applying it to a corporate world but in the personal world which is the individual but it, and i'm not just talking about sexual relationships i'm not just talking about husbands wives girlfriends boyfriends that, that i'm talking about friendships as well because if you're you, those are often the hardest ones to get rid of because often friendships are tangled up with those emotions and those ancestral uh, feelings and, and and things yeah so there is something that, that says as a feeling which is that if i don't have friends then i'm lonely you ask any any only child if they're lonely and they'll come back with a no i love my own i love my own time i love my me time because they're used to being on their own yeah my husband's part of a very big family and you know whenever i'm around them i need like a good three days by myself um afterwards to recover from all of the i mean it's a wonderful activity they're very lovely people they can yeah. be a bit intense and it's just what we're used to yeah. so in a in a i suppose what we're really talking about here is fear of change there you go yeah change is actually an interesting one because what we what we know we like to keep because we we know what's going to happen next and a brilliant example of this is someone who knows that they're unhappy in a relationship or a friendship but they don't want to change it because they don't know how to live without that person in their life so they'll quite happily hang around someone who has a toxic atmosphere but quite happily go back to an abusive partner who belittles them and makes them feel small and insignificant and ruins their self-confidence and you know any sort of self-esteem because they know what's going to happen when they do those things yeah it, that's part of that i think that's a really important point they know what's going to happen and they don't that the unknowing is worse than the knowing no matter what that knowing is i think it's something that people uh, I, I know that this is probably not where you imagine this conversation would go, but um, I think that's something that people don't realise about abusive relationships, about toxic friendships, is why people keep going back is because they know that it's abusive, but within a box, so they know what the boundaries are. Yeah, and looking at the... People know that they're in an abusive box, and they know that it's not right and that they want it to change. They themselves can't make it change. The other person, the abuser or the person who is toxic or is viewed as toxic, they need to make the change. Mm -hmm. But if it's not a change that they're prepared to make, then the situation never changes. Yeah. And you'll often find women um, or partners, I should say, you'll often find a partner um, leave the abuser when children become involved or when the abuser um raises their hands or becomes uh targeting uh, or becomes to target the the children because the the then current weaker party or the person who was being abused i should say apologies for that slip no that's okay they then realize that it's not just them that this situation is then going to be impacting the lives of other people and that's when they decide to make a change it's this that it's the change in the other person and it's the same thing applies to the corporate world doesn't it because they uh, they say that there's a higher percentage of people leave jobs when someone else is promoted because they see that person get promoted above them and then they leave because the game changes and it's the same thing they were expecting that promotion someone else gets it they leave and it's because the game changes and it's the same thing 
when it comes to we don't even realize they're connected but they are the same situation where someone, the same. yeah it's the same mentality it's the same the chain it changed without you changing it so that's when you can make the decision because the parameters and once then then it becomes the unknown then it becomes scarier yeah exactly so the situation in that in like in a corporate environment would be um a member of a team gets promoted to be the team leader yeah and then the relationship changes from being a mate to being your boss and all of a sudden that little niggle that you don't like about your friend is a huge issue because that that friend is now your boss and how do you then tell your colleague of several years that you then have an issue and you can't and then that little niggle becomes a chasm between you and them and people shy away from it and they leave as a result yeah 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 and, and, and that's i think that's so important see you said you're a reframer i think you're a terror trainer you help people yeah. <laughs> learn that there that fear can be trained that fear can be dealt with and that the unknown is not as scary as being stuck in the known that's see i think mm -hmm. that's that's you said that just yeah then. i have a i have an expression um and it it's a mock of, a, of a, an existing phrase out there. Feel the fear and try it anyway. Mm. Yeah. In a corporate environment, you know, your, your friend has been promoted to your boss. And it's the, Chris, you know that thing that you did last Christmas? You, and yes. you made like, you made me look really silly at the Christmas party. And, you know, that's still playing up for me. I'm very sorry about that. You know, it's all right, dude. I've got over it. Um, but you can then have a conversation about it. Yeah. You know, feel the fear and try anyway. If your heart's set on leaving, and you know, mm. and you're quite happy to leave, what are you going to lose by trying to repair a broken friendship before you leave? Nothing. Not leaving. You might end up being able to to stay on at that company. You might even be able to move into another role, or even, you know, continue on in the same role with your friend now as your boss, and that could be so much easier for you than actually going through the pain of moving. Yeah, it's a really good, really, really good point. Really, really good point. Yeah. See, I have I, I have this thing where I am scared of being scared, so I do the thing. And I like I used to be a recluse, like completely. Like, never went out, played Warhammer is what I used to do, and stuff like that. Um, that's it, that's all I used to do. And, uh, and I was in a horribly abusive relationship, and then that ended, and when that ended, I thought that was the worst thing that had ever happened to me. But... I'm still scared of the world. I'm still scared. I'm not stop being scared. I just was more scared of being scared than I was of doing the things. So I just I think I'm a coward, but I'm but more of a coward towards the unknown. So I'm more scared of the unknown than I am of doing the thing. So I think me, people need to get more scared. That's what I'm saying. Is they need to be more scared, not less scared. Don't deal with the fear. Become afraid of the fear to the point where the thing can't be as scary as that. It can't be as scary as you living every day with that terrible tiger that's in your house with you all the time. Yeah, interesting view on that. So when we, when we have that, you know how we were talking about meanings earlier, when we, yep. we have a, a childhood situation and we attach a meaning to it. Every time that we encounter that event or can encounter a similar situation, we replay that story in our mind. And because we replay that story, we make it bigger. 
So when we were five year old, it was this little thing right now, like that big. And then we, it happens again when we're six and then seven and eight and nine and 10. And by the time we get to be 38, you know, it's got 35 different layers of wrapping paper on it. And it's so much bigger than what it ever was. And we've made it out to be this huge story when actually all it was was just a single event. Mm. And that's what brings, that, that's what introduces the fear of the, the thing, the fear into our lives. Yeah, yeah. And so we've woven this single thread into this massive tapestry of fear yeah. and you unpick it. Yeah. Is that what we were, is that the analogy you were coming for? Because I think that... Yeah. That, <laughs> did I just ruin that? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, that you you do a fascinating. This is I think ancestral healing is is fantastic. I've never heard, I'd never heard it before. You emailed me before, and you uh, for the last hour of just we've talked about it, and I, I find it incredibly fascinating. Using the past to heal the present is just I've heard about it where we we face the past, but you're not just facing it; you're changing it. Yeah, yeah, I am. And when we, because we all, <laughs> we're all living today and we want the best for our future today. We've had, so what is it now? We're at the end of March 2020, 2021. We've had a yeah. year now of lockdown and COVID. We've had a year of reflection and it's been hard. This last lockdown has been the hardest it's been for a lot of people. And everyone's now looking for, you know, what's going to happen next. And everyone's so desperate, they're thinking, you know, what's going to happen next? You can make those things happen for you. You can make that manifestation by getting to grips with your past and understanding where those fears come from. So next time you experience them, you go, oh, that's just that old fear playing up again. And then you go off and you try the thing anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What's what's the worst that can happen? Exactly. What's the worst that can happen? Vicky, thank you very much for joining us here at Mental Health Bar. Um, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you? Yeah, of course. So you can catch me um, on my website, which is vickypool.co.uk. And on that website, you've got all of the links to my Facebook page, my Twitter, Instagram, and also my LinkedIn. Brilliant. Well, that's easy. And we will, for those of you listening, uh, they will. the links will be in the description of the podcast. And for those of you watching, uh, those links will all be in the description of this YouTube video. So thank you very much for joining us, everyone. We'll be back next week with another guest here on Mental Health Bar. Thank you very much, Vicky, for joining us. You have been absolutely splendid. This has been fascinating. I'm, incredible. I'm going to go away now and I'm going to read up on more history because I need to know. I didn't know that about Bodicea, so I'm going to go and look it up right after this. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you a link. Oh, please do. Please absolutely do. I would absolutely really love it. Right. Thank you very much, listeners. Thank you very much, watchers. We'll be back next week. Good night.